It's something for nothing. The Rush Fan Cast, Jerry and Steve with you. Jer, what's going on? Not much, Steve. What's going on with you? Not much. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Rush Fan Cast. Instagram, we are at The Rush Cast. Email Jerry, therushcast at gmail.com. The bass intro, as always, Jer, is done by Lex. Of course. He's fantastic. We've been getting lots of great emails. You send me emails every day, and they're all great. Yep, I know. So why don't you read one for me? Oh, sure. That's the segment, right? That's the email segment. We're going to read emails. That's it. You know, we never we never came up with uh, like a name for the segment. How about Rush Emails? <laughs> <laughs> How about Jerry Reads an Email? Jerry Reads an Email. We need like a, we need a sounder for Jerry Reads an Email. I don't know what a sounder is. I'm sure that's that's <laughs> technical speak for something. Is that like a like a Yeah, it's like a little jingle or something, you know? Oh, okay. We'll have Lex do one for us. <laughs> jingle. He's not busy enough. Okay. This email is from David. Hey, David. And he says, I wanted to wait until I was all caught up with the podcast, and I did that yesterday. Excellent work on the show. I found the podcast a few months ago and I listened almost exclusively to you on dog walks and car rides. Wow. I couldn't have found you at a better time. I wanted to, as is the custom, talk about my Rush origin story. See, Steve, it's catching on. See, look at that origin story. I like it. I had an older brother who listened to Rush. When I was in the fourth grade, I got a hold of my brother's cassette of permanent waves. This was sometime in 80 or 81. I took a cassette player, the kind with a single speaker, and would listen to side one ad infinitum. I'd get to the end, rewind it, and listen again. I did listen to the B-side now and again, but side A got the love. My brother was not happy as we shared a room, and he didn't like how I was just listening to three songs. Later, when I was a rabid fan of Rush, he didn't like that we shared the same favorite band. So he made a bootleg copy of one of the Cars albums, and he forced the cassette into my hands, announcing that this was now my new favorite band. What? <laughs> Brothers, right? <laughs> Undeterred, I was steadfast in my devotion to Rush. A few years later, I started to keep a journal of quotes I liked, mostly from songs, but other quotes I liked as well. As you can guess, the lion's share of those notebooks were filled with Neil's quotes, all handwritten by me, and each one cited to the author. It was also around this time, after I saw the Power Windows tour, that I met who was to become my best friend, this guy named Matt. Matt was one hell of an artist, painting, music, singing. If he didn't know, he'd teach himself. He was two years my junior, and I no longer remembered if I introduced him to Rush, but it's likely. The first show we saw together was Hold Your Fire. We continued seeing shows together right up to Roll the Bones. We, like the rest of you, would, would be waiting at the record store on the day of release. We'd go home and pour over the liner notes as we listened to and dissected Rush's latest effort. This went on uninterrupted until Counterparts. I was just out of college, and Matt was away at school, so we were on the phone listening to the album and talking about it. We would likely go to a show that March in Chicago, but that was not to happen. By early March of 1994, just a few weeks before Rush was to play, Matt was diagnosed with testicular cancer, and by September, he was dead. Ugh. I believe I bought Test for Echo and maybe listened to it once or twice. It wasn't until Vapor Trails that I went to see Rush again, and then saw them on all their remaining tours except for the final one. I've still not heard Snakes and Arrows or Clockwork Angels. Not so much that I was no longer a fan, but more that what I looked forward to about an album coming out 
Matt and I dissecting it together, was gone. That didn't mean I wasn't listening to Rush Weekly or their quotes weren't important to me or that I wasn't reading Neil's books. I was. I just wasn't following their current music. And I was having lunch in the San Jose airport waiting for a flight when I found out that Neil died. I was still that guy, but I sat in the restaurant and cried, much like I am as I write this. I haven't forgotten that this is really a story about why finding your podcast when I did was so important. As I was watching the dates of the podcast draw nearer and nearer to Neil's death, I was listening as one knowing what the speakers didn't know. There was doom on the horizon, and soon you'd be blindsided by unspeakable loss. The irony is I was also revisiting Matt's death. I'm a filmmaker, and I have been prepping a script inspired by Matt's battle with testicular cancer. It's a dark comedy called My Best Nut. (laughs) It's a great title for a dark comedy. So in a sense, I'm re-engaging with Rush through your podcast. At the same time, I'm engaging in the story about why I, in some respects, disengaged with them in the past. So for that, I say thank you, and I'm sharing a very brief clip of an air guitar music video I made with Matt. He's the one on the salad spoons. So we'll send out that video. It's on Vimeo. Oh, wow. I'm so sorry about your friend, Matt. That's, That's terrible. Yeah. But he has all those memories of him and Matt going to see Rush shows. Yeah. Couldn't listen to Rush. That's sad. But, you know, he's back into the fold with, with that, making that movie and listening to us, crazily enough. That's crazy and, and great. We really appreciate it. And coming up soon, Jerry, we're going to be talking about Snakes and Arrows. Yes, I know. I got an email today. Somebody said, when are you going to do Snakes and Arrows? Well, we keep having great guests, so we've been putting it off. Yeah. Sooner or later, we'll, we'll do it. We actually have them already recorded. We're just waiting to unleash them on the world. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, before we get into our guest, Jar, I had something else I wanted to bring up. Now, back when we talked about moving pictures Mm -hmm. and we talked about YYZ, we talked about the fact that Rush lost the Grammy to the police. True. We were not happy about it. Mm -mm. Our friends at Ultimate Classic Rock just put an article out about behind my camel really the song that won the grammy the year that yyz was nominated oh boy have you seen this no i haven't seen it guitarist andy summers this is directly from the ultimate classic rock story guitarist andy summers wrote the instrumental behind my camel for the police's 1980 album zenyata mandata it ended up winning a grammy for best rock instrumental performance in 1982 but one band member wasn't a fan of the song. In fact, singer and bassist Sting wanted nothing to do with the track. (laughs) Even went as far as to bury the original tape in an effort to stop work on the song. Bury it? I don't know if that's literally bury or just... (laughs) He took it in the backyard. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that would be funny. If he took a shovel out and buried the tape. You see him in the backyard with a shovel. I think what bury means in this case is he just kind of put it in a shelf far away sure yep i was always much more interested in weirder stuff andy summers recently told classic rock and the commercial hit songs always seemed to come out of sting anyway but we didn't have enough songs to fill the album and i had this behind my camel thing i said how about doing this then and sting said i'm not playing that i actually believe he (laughs) did bury the tape in the garden oh 
There you go. I guess he did bury it in the ground. <laughs> Stuart Copeland was actually up for working on it, so I just played the bass. So Sting didn't even play mm. on it. Wow. And he got the <laughs> Grammy anyway. And they got the Grammy anyway. So anyway, I think Sting would agree with us that Rush should have won the Grammy for that, that song. Sure. I, I think so. If he, if he hated the song so much, he tried to bury it in the garden and then wouldn't play on it. We got to get Sting on the podcast, Jerry. That's what we got to do. And ask him. That's what we could talk about. We could talk about how Behind My Camel sucks and YYZ <laughs> is great. He'd be on board. For 45 minutes. <laughs> well, I think Sting would have a lot of good things to say about Getty Lee, too, I would think, right? I would hope so. Work on that. Let's get Sting on the podcast. I'm sure, sure. sure we could make that happen. I'm sure. And pull some strings. What we did make happen, Jerry, is we've got another great guest on the podcast. He's a New Jersey-based heavy metal drummer. He's played with many bands over the years, including Hades and Overkill. And he also played in a band with me as a teenager, Jer, which is, I don't know if that's a claim to fame, but it's a thing. High Voltage. I remember the band. High Voltage, yes. And he also attended his first Rush show on March 31st, 1986 with us. Right. Ron Lipnicki, welcome to the Rush Fancast. Thanks for having me, Steve and Jerry. It's a pleasure to be on. And how about that for an introduction, right? <laughs> oh my God, you guys are really buttering me up here. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get started, why don't you tell us your Rush origin story, Ron? When did you first hear Rush and how did you become a fan? It was probably hanging out with you when, when we started doing gigs. I mean, we were into like Priest or ACDC and stuff, but I think you you probably were the first guy that had all the albums. Oh, yeah. You started play, playing stuff for me. And then we moved. Like I moved to North Jersey. So we kind of separated after we were playing in the band. Mm -hmm. And I met some people up there that loved Rush. I remember going to a battle of the bands at my new high school. I was coming from Catholic high school to public high school. And there was a battle of the bands. I thought it was the coolest thing. And one of the bands, the drummer, he played the YYZ drum solo. I thought it was the, and he played, he really nailed it. And after seeing that, man, I was, you know, I had to find out more about Rush. I got all the albums and I was hooked trying to play those licks and man, got into all those songs and then going to see him with you guys. My first Rush concert, Power Windows. Yeah, that was a great concert. Unbelievable, man. Were they tight? And we had really good seats for that. I don't know if you remember our seats. You could see Neil. I mean, it was perfect. I mean, for a drummer, any any Rush fan, it was incredible. Yeah. Good times. So what do you remember about that show, Ron, specifically? I remember before the show started, I remember Marillion opening up. I think that was a Canadian band, Marillion. Mm -hmm. And I remember Getty was warming up, throwing the baseball in the hallway. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that. The show started. He was, I don't know who he was playing catch with. It was Alex, maybe Neil, for all we know. Right. But he had his hair pulled back in the ponytail. I think he had the long hair. He still had the pretty long ponytail at that point, right? Yeah, I think so. And he was playing, you know, throw, just warming up, hanging out there, throwing the baseball. I do remember that. True baseball fan. Yeah, that's true. Playing catch before concert. <laughs> then they hit the lights. And the, was it Big Money they opened up with? I, I'm trying to remember the opening song, but I know it was incredible. You know, I don't know. That's a good question. I would guess that they opened with Distant Early Warning because they used to open with the song from the previous album, the first song from the previous album. Would you like me to go check to see what it was? We can look. I have the book right here. The whole set list will bring back some great memories. Yeah, he's going to go check. Yeah, I remember the seats. We had great seats for that. And I was only, what an impression being 16 years old, 15, seeing Rush like that. Yeah, it's crazy. Incredible. Okay, Steve, I have the book. All right, Jerry's back. Of course, the book is Wandering the Face of the Earth by Skip Daly and Eric Hansen, who we had on the podcast to talk about it. 
the first song was the Spirit of Radio. Oh, okay. And then Limelight. And then it was, we'll just do the whole thing. Then it was the Big Money, New World Man, Subdivisions, Manhattan Project, Middletown Dreams, Witch Hunt, Red Sector A, Closer to the Heart, Marathon, The Trees, Mystic Rhythms, Distant Early Warning, Territories, The Weapon, YYZ, With Drum Solo, Red Lenses, and Tom Sawyer. And then the Encore was 2112 Overture and the Temples of Syrinx, Grand Designs, and In the Mood. Oh, In the Mood. Now that's a set list. And, you know, I didn't know, I've said this on the, the show before, I didn't know any, really anything about Rush. And I sat at that concert just, I don't think I said a word for like two hours. I was like, what, what am I watching here? I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And I walked out of the Meadowlands, a true fan. I had drool coming out of my mouth too, Jerry. I was, there was definitely, after seeing that, oh my God, changed my life. I mean, all I wanted to do was play the drums after seeing that solo and seeing Neil. just changed everything for me. You know, I was going to ask you, uh, just seeing that show, did that send your career on the trajectory it ended up on? Oh, my God. I annoyed a lot of people with all that practice, and I did tapping on stuff, tapping the YYZ <laughs> intro all day long and counting to seven, like all these odd times. They probably thought I was crazy walking around high school in the corridors. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five, six. Seven, one, two, three, four, five. One, two, three. All the odd meters. Oh, I was hooked. Like you guys, too. Anyway. Yeah, do you remember the order in which you got some of their back catalog after that? Like, what did you get into first? Like, the stuff from the 70s, or was it the 80s stuff? I think the first one was permanent waves, maybe moving pictures. Like I told you guys, I had the Columbia House. <laughs> oh, yeah. Columbia House, that's where I got the permanent waves, and oh, shit, what else was on there? It was a couple good ones, and then Exit Stage Left. Moving pictures, permanent waves, and Exit Stage Left. But from there, I got the old ones, uh... Fly, of course, the first one, Fly by Night, Caress the Steel, Hemispheres, and 2112. Oh, my God. So much great music. I know. Amazing stuff, isn't it? And still is. I mean, incredible. I know some of those albums from the 70s sound like they were recorded yesterday. I think so, too. I mean, the quality, sound quality on some of those old ones. I don't know what your guys' favorite older Rush album is, but probably 2112, right? Well, it depends on your definition of older. I mean, my favorite Rush album is Moving Pictures, but if you were going to go 70s, I would say A Farewell to Kings for me. Oh, my God, yeah. And what a great bunch of videos, the three videos they did for that album. Oh, yeah. Incredible. I'd have to go with uh, Hemispheres. Over Moving Pictures or just 70s? From the 70s stuff. Okay, that works. So, Ron, how much did Neil's playing seep into your style of playing? How similar is your style of playing to Neil's? Well, I would never compare myself to Neil, but I know I got into a lot of trouble when I was playing in different bands growing up because I would try to incorporate all Neil's licks and sometimes the odd meters. And like a lot of people don't know what you're doing. They're like, what is, the, what is this crazy stuff you're doing? I was like, oh, that's Neil Pert licks. Neil Pert. <laughs> <laughs> I think it worked out in the end. Like once I found the right band like, where they enjoy the busy drumming and you can start playing busy and people appreciate it. And I took a lot of Neil's licks and, you know, I tried to incorporate my own thing to it, but man, trying to play Mike Neal is no easy task. The drum sounds and the way he did things, it's just magical. Yeah, he said uh, playing a Rush show is like running a marathon while doing equations in your head. Oh, without a doubt. That's no easy task. I wonder what he does right after the show. Probably just relax or read something. I, he doesn't seem like the type of guy that likes to sit around. You know. In the later years, he'd get on his motorcycle and he'd leave immediately, right? Talk about a high energy guy. And then he, he used to have the bicycle too, right? Mm -hmm. yeah just what an inspiration for a drummer i mean the guy was incredible he did so much in a short short span of time he was here i mean it's incredible all the music he got accomplished and recorded the incredible drum tracks and 
the books he wrote, the three great books, are more than that, actually, five, six. Ghost Rider, Traveling Music. So Neil's playing was very structured. He played the same way every time and wasn't really improvisational for the most part. What do you think is more difficult, being a structured player or an improvisational player? I think to play it structured, especially the way Neil did, like he played it perfect every night. And to remember all those parts, I mean, that's a lot of repetition, a lot of practice. I mean, nobody did it better than Neil. That was, and those parts, I mean, he spent so much time. The drum parts were perfect, I think. The fills and like the way he structured all the different verses, he would change the beats around. It was just incredible. Definitely my favorite drummer. I mean, I love Bonham and all the other guys, but something was special about Neil and the whole band. Just the songwriting, the, the songs, and it's great music. Yeah, I always say that they're, you know, they're lumped in with uh, a lot of prog bands or whatever, but uh, I don't really consider them too proggy. I, and I think it's because their songs don't come off as proggy. Even, even Hemispheres, which is, what, 18 minutes long, doesn't come off as like a prog song, right? It comes off just like a, a great rock song. Yeah, I would never get bored. I could listen to that over and over. And a lot of people would probably get bored with it. But me, I loved it. That first side of Hemispheres and the more obscure stuff like the Caress of Steel. I love that too. Fountain of Lemnath, do you like? You still like that? Oh my God, yeah. I'm going to have to listen to that a little bit later. Oh, it's so good, right? Ron, we've seen some of your solos on YouTube. You can definitely hear Neil's influence on your drum solos. Can you talk a little bit about that? I took a lot of... Um, his ideas and try to make it my own. I used to love the crossovers he would do in his solo. He did this crossover that was in five and he would speed it up. Like I think it was right after the, he did the snare solo. He would do that crossover and he would stop and start going into the quads. So I, I took a lot of those crossovers, the snare work he did a lot of the quads that he did. I mean, on the overkill records, I did a lot of that kind of took a lot of that kind of fitted in great with the music. But Neil never did a lot of double kick, like with as far as playing the beats, really. But he did did a lot of cool things with the fills. In the early days, he did a couple cool things, like quicker stuff. But he just made it like he was so tasty with the double bass. <laughs> I kind of missed when he got rid of the other kick and switched to one. He always had the double pedal, but he was so tasty the way he did things. Now, did you do a drum solo when you were with Overkill at every show like Neil did? No, they wouldn't have a drum solo, but some of the songs had a lot of busy drum parts. So it was kind of like we were doing the solo, like some, some of the endings and intros to the songs had kind of pretty busy drums, I guess. Like not as crazy as Rush, but it was a lot of fun to play for sure. And quick too, a lot of fast tempos, good times playing that stuff. And you had to definitely, uh, you know, drink your Red Bulls or be in shape to play that type of stuff. <laughs> you don't want to run out of breath out there. Usually at the start of the tour, like I would cramp up, so I'd have to eat some bananas because playing quick like that, the muscle, I, I'd always warm up on the pad, but for some reason I would cramp up. Usually towards the end of the show after, we always play like about 90 minutes or so. So there was always bananas by the drums. <laughs> <laughs> bananas, Red Bull. Some people have whiskey, you have bananas. Yeah, I never drank before the show. I, I'd have beers after the show, but I know some people drink on the stage. I never really did that. Did you ever get the overkill guys? to um, cover a Rush song in concert? Uh, not in concert. We were going to record a bonus track. We were going to do 2112. I was real excited, but for some reason it never happened. They did another song, and I thought that would have been a great one. I think Bobby would have sang that one great. Didi's a big Rush fan, the bass player. Dave, too. So uh, we never got to record that. I'm kind of bummed about that, but I think we would have did a pretty good job doing that one. I mean, it's not an easy one to do, either. <laughs> so what are your favorite Rush songs to play, Ron, just just messing around with the guys. Oh, my favorite's probably 
probably LaVilla Strangiato. Definitely Tom Sawyer. I mean, you can't, you got to have Tom Sawyer on there. Uh, natural Science, probably. Natural Sciences has a lot of great beats on there and fills. And what would you say is the most difficult Rush song to play? Uh, the most difficult for me, it was probably uh, a Camera Eye was kind of a tough one. Really? Why is that? They were all pretty tough. But once you started listening to them, you got into the groove of it. But there were some tough ones. Well, Villa was tough. I mean, that's definitely to play that perfect every night. YYZ, too. Yeah, just about all of them, right? Xanadu, Tree. Xanadu's a tough one, too. That's one of my favorites. The Trees, another great drum. Oh, my God, there's so many. Spirit of Radio. So in 2015, Ron, Neil retired as a drummer. He said he couldn't see himself playing Neil Peart's drum parts as a 70-year-old. Can you relate to that? Can you see yourself 20 years from now still playing the way you do? I hope so. I just got to take care of your body and hope everything holds up your hearing and you don't get carpal tunnel. But I know Neil was studying with Freddie Gruber, so like it kind of loosened up his technique a little bit. Freddie Gruber was like a real technique guy. Like um, he studied, I think he studied with Sanford Moeller. Like he was like a real technique guy. George Warren Stone. I'd have to check. Maybe Joe Bergamini would know for sure. But I know he studied with Freddie Gruber, who was a real incredible technique guy, and he he definitely taught Neil how to relax a little more. So I think Neil probably could have kept on going with all that stuff Freddie showed him. But then again, he had a lot of shows under his belt. I can't imagine what that must feel like on your body touring all those years. Yeah. And he had such a high standard for himself. You know, he would say sometimes that, you know, he screwed up Tom Sawyer when he played it, but nobody in the audience could hear it. Right. Cause his standard was so high. I know what a perfectionist he was, you know? Yeah, I know. And he never wore earplugs. I don't think like was his hearing. I wonder if anything ever happened to his hearing. I don't think he ever wore earplugs at a show. I'm sure later on he had those in-ear things, right? Where you could just hear the monitors in his ear. Yeah, definitely. But uh, yeah, that was a lot of volume, I'm sure, over the years. <laughs> yeah. Man, he left us way too soon. You know, I was going to ask you what your thoughts were just over a year ago when you heard that Neil had passed. Oh, it was horrible news. I, I felt like I lost a, a good friend, even though I never met Neil. But like you guys do, the music, man. You love the music so much growing up as a kid. And oh my, the songs mean so much to you. And like, oh, they... The inspiration that Neil did for me as a drummer. Oh my God, it was like getting stabbed in the chest when I heard the music. It was just a, a shock. I, I had no idea he was sick or was a, you know, he kept everything secret. But oh, it was what a depressing day. It still is, you know. Still sad when you listen to the music, but um, at least you know he's not suffering. He left us with a lot of great stuff to listen to, that's for sure. So we thought we'd do something fun with you, Ron, today and choose our top five Neil drum songs. So we're going to count down each of our top five favorite drum tracks and then, then talk about them. What do you think? Sounds good to me. You want me to go first? Or? Yeah, you go first. What's number five? Number five. It's not an actual Rush song, but it was, it was a piece that Neil did. It was in the Modern Drum Magazine. It was called Pieces of Eight. Oh, wow. It's kind of like a vibraphone solo. He used to put it in a solo. He'd play a little bit pieces of it. But that's still one of my favorites, probably number five. Well, we'll have to pull that out and find that. Is that the one where he would play like that vibraphone thing and then he would just go crazy on the snare and everything and then go back to it and play it slower and slower and slower? Is, this, is that it? Exactly. That was it. But it was an actual song he did. I think it was like 1987. He had the, the Neil Peart drum contest and he had like a little record that he left in the magazine and that song was on there. It's probably like about a oh, six wow. song, like a solo and a couple of different verses on there. It was really cool.
That's a, that's got to be a collector's item. That's definitely probably number five. That's like a, I always love that one. All right, Jerry, you're next. I'm next. Let's see. I'm gonna go number five. Headlong flight. Oh, from Clockwork Angels. And why? Uh, well, I think that song. You know, after uh, how many years? Forty years together. That one song is like all of Rush musical history in the seven minutes of that song or however long it is. They go through like everything. Like a drum solo in, in there somewhere. Getty's bass tone is insane. And Alex's riffs for that, I just, it's like the quintessential boils down rush tune now are you familiar with headlong flight run i'm gonna have to check that one out it's on clockwork angels which is rush's last album and it is quintessential rush i mean like jerry said every great rush song wrapped up into one i definitely trust you guys i'll be sure to check that out i'm still like there's so much great music to go through a lot of stuff i gotta review you know especially the later ones you were busy on tour all the time you didn't have time to check out the newer albums right True, yeah, I was always doing something, listening to some different stuff, but um, oh my God, there's nothing better than listening to Rush with headphones. You get a good pair of headphones and it doesn't get any better for me. All right, so my number five is from Fly By Night, by Tor and the Snow Dog. Mm-hmm. Oh, great one, Steve. This is Neil announcing his arrival onto the scene. I mean, the whole album really is. I mean, I was torn between this and Anthem and Best I Can. I mean, you're just blown away by Neil. I can only imagine hearing that for the first time after hearing Rush's debut album and just being blown away. And the cymbal work is just amazing. What do you think of that song, Ron? That's I was going to say that one too, Steve. That's And the great <laughs> stops at the end, the way it stops at the end of that song. So... Yeah, the whole song is kind of like a drum solo if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Amazing song. Like you said, it's hard to whittle it down into a top five. I mean, we could we could have did a top twenty, no problem. Yeah, totally. That is a great one though for five. I mean, I probably would have put it up there a little higher, but that is what beautiful song. Busy, busy drums, which I love. So, what's your number four? My number four would probably I'd have to go with Anthem. Okay. Oh, Fly By Night. That's another. It was a big album for me growing up in high school and driving around in the car. Anthem was uh, another busy drum song, too. And just a great song. I mean, a great rocker. And why was this so important to you when you were uh, younger? It reminds me of hanging out, just having fun in high school. Not so much to worry about, just having a good time. And uh, just uh, something about the drums in that song just, just inspired me. Great drumming. The whole album, actually. What's your number four, Jer? This was a tough one. This was a really tough one. But I'm going to go with um, Mission from Hold Your Fire. Oh, wow. Okay, Mission. Because there's the one, one part after the solo where they're just kind of 
everything's breaking down after the solo, you know, and then it kind of goes off to the, just the keyboards. But that whole little section where it's just like... Blah, blah, blah. For, for a late 80s rush, that's as close as you can get to 70s rush is that one minute right in that song. I can't argue with that. I'm sorry, Ron, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. See, I, I wanted to see if Jerry saw him on that tour, on the Holy Fire tour. Oh, yeah. Steve and I saw them on every tour after Power Windows. I was at that show, too. That was a great show, too. Yeah, Steve and I had great seats for that. Great. Great song, Jerry. Great song. So my number four is from Power Windows, and it's Territories. I love the rhythm on this song and there's so much going on. I mean, every percussion element is in this song. It's got that world beat to it. It's like Neil took elements of every country he ever visited and put them in one song and it's just fantastic. So that's my number four. That's a great one, Steve. Great pick. Yeah. Territories is one of my favorite rush songs. Top 20 easy. That's just one that jumps out at me when I think drums and Rush, that song just jumps out to the front for me. And they did do that when we saw them on the Power of Windows, so I believe they did. They did, yeah. They did. And I know it ends with the drums, that really cool drum pattern he does, kind of ends with mm-hmm. the drums, and just a memorable drum thing. Man, good pick, Steve. Great Thanks. pick. All right, let's hear your good pick, number three. I'm going to have to go with Fairwood of King, Cygnus X. Ooh, good one. funky bass playing on there and the oh yeah and it's kind of weird like the arrangement it gets a little trippy in the middle a little bit psychedelic almost what is it about the drums in that song that jumps out to you i love that funky beat he plays at the end with him and getty it's really uh i don't know something about that beat when they walk up at the end or in the intro yeah Yeah. it's really tight right i mean it's super tight very tight yeah and crazy vocals on there. A lot of screaming with Getty. Great vocals and Alex yeah. is great guitar playing. That's one song I, for some reason, I, I don't really listen to that often. Really? Yeah, just like as a song. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I want to hear, a, I'm in the mood to hear whatever, you know, subdivisions. I'm in the mood to hear Distant Early Warning. I can't remember the last time I said, I'm in the mood <laughs> to hear. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's definitely not for everybody. It is kind of strange. It is a very strange song, and it's also strange because it's, you know, part one of a song that continues on the next album. I want Hemispheres, right? You know what you do, Jarrah, on Spotify, create a playlist, Cygnus X1, part one, and then then Hemispheres, and play them back to back. That's what you do. Yeah, that's a great idea, Steve. Try that. It is another long one. You're going to have to have some time. (laughs) It's a good workout song. There you go. Yeah, I'm not doing anything else but sitting here, so... What's your number three, Jer? 
Well, mine number three, I hope, isn't too predictable. It's subdivisions. Okay. As Ron, you mentioned, you know, he changes up his his pattern throughout the song, which is something uh, I don't know if you know of many songs where it's so different in each of the of the verses. You know what I mean? It is amazing what he plays on there. I love the different patterns, how he changes it. And the beat at the end with the China, that Wuhan China, I was lucky enough to get when Santa Claus brought one for Christmas. It's just <laughs> real used to play. It's an 18-inch Wuhan. And it's got like a really trashy sound, but they're very easy to crack. It's like a really thin. Can you say Wuhan after what's going on? <laughs> yeah, you can say Wuhan. <laughs> podcast, I don't want to upset anybody, but the Wuhan was, a, and Neil used to play him. But I think when he switched over to Sabian, um, he stopped using the Wuhan symbol. But it's a great trashy, and he uses that at the end of subdivision. Now, what do you mean by trashy? What does that mean? Uh, just the sound of it. It's kind of like it cuts off quick. It's like a quick decay, but like a trashy sound. If you listen to the end of subdivisions, that's the uh, 18-inch Wuhan. So my number three is from Signals, and it's Digital Man. I love the drum fill just at the beginning. Oh, that's a great one. That just jumps out at me right there. Can I try to play it? I think I might remember it. I'm going to play it on my leg and see if this is the intro. Okay. <laughs> well, hold on. I got. Was there you it? go. There, there <laughs> you go. That's it. And Neil's drums plus Getty's bass is so funky. And the song just drives. And the chorus, the drums are fantastic. The fills are incredible. I mean, just a great drum song. Your thoughts, Ron? Awesome drum song. Great song in general. Great album. Steve, when we talked to Stephen Drozd, did he say that he still can't play that intro? He has no idea how to play that intro. I remember him saying that about some song. Was it Digital Man? I think it was Digital Man. How it's, he just can't, he just can't get it. He has no idea what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) It's because it's so weird and complicated. So good. So good. So Ron, we're up to number two. We're getting there. I'm going to go with um, Natural Science. Oh, good one. As far as great drum songs, I mean, there's so many great ones, but of permanent ways, that is one. I love the way he changes the beats around. Amazing fills on there. And a great sounding album. The drum sounds and the whole band, the guitar and the bass sounds, cymbals. I mean, what a something about that album for me. Permanent Waves. Side two, that's really different strings on there, but I'd have to definitely go with natural science. Yeah, they were definitely firing on all cylinders around that time. I can't argue with that. Jer, what's your number two? My number two is free will. Oh, another great one. Hey, 
And it's the, specifically uh, the part during Alex's solo, right before the solo, uh-huh. when it's Getty and, and Neil, and then during the solo, all three of them are just out in the stratosphere, mm-hmm. each of them doing their own thing, like three different solos all at once. Great choice, Jerry. I remember playing that with you, Steve. We played that a couple times when we were playing it. <laughs> I used to be able to play Free Will on bass, really? Yeah, you used to nail Free Will. Wow. You have a great memory. I don't remember being able to play anything well. <laughs> no, that one you, you killed. I remember playing that. I don't know where we played or if we it might have just been a rehearsal. I don't know if we ever did it live, but you you killed that on the bass. Well, thanks. I, I don't even remember it, but that's quite a compliment. Unless I'm dreaming, but I, I could have seen you. <laughs> you got to start practicing again. Yeah, Steve. I know. I feel like I could get it back if I really started practicing, but I, I don't practice. That's my problem. You still have the bass though? I still have a bass, yeah. Not the not the bass, but but a bass, yes. <laughs> Did you ever get a Steinberger like Eddie? No, no, I wish. I would have loved to. That would have been cool. Me too. I'd like to get one of those. So my number two is the same as your number two, Ron. It is natural science. Oh, very cool, Steve. Like you said, there's so much going on in this song, and Neil pretty much shows off every style of drumming that exists <laughs> in one song. And my favorite part Similar to your favorite part in Free Will, Jarrett, that part where it goes dun 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 that that part there. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's the it's the third part. Yeah, it's just great. Yeah, just fantastic. Incredible song. And the band is so tight and it's just, just fantastic. I don't even know what to say. Yeah. I'm going to listen to that after we're done with the podcast. Natural science. Yeah. Definitely prank that one up. Yeah. All right, Ron, if you had a drum set, you could do your own drum roll. Number one. (laughs) I do have one. It was, I had it right in the basement, but with all this rain and snow, there was a little bit of water seepage. I had to put all my drums up off the ground. I probably could have done a little, solo for you but next podcast we will <laughs> next time we have you on we'll we'll have your drums so what's your number one my number one's got to be tom sawyer mm. ah i love that pick <laughs> only because um he just had as a kid i always just wanted to play it perfect and everybody was like, you can't play Tom Sawyer. You're not playing it right. Like, I just always, I know he's always loved the song. And I, learned, I finally did learn how to play it. At least I thought I learned how to play it right. <laughs> wow. So, sounds good to me. <laughs> So, Jared, what's your number one? Ron just did your drum roll. My number one is La Villa, La Villa Strangiato. Can't argue with it. And specifically, again, it's certain parts of the song that are just amazing. And in this song, it's Neil's hi-hat work at the beginning 
It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's so clean and so precise. It's really one of the best hi-hats I've ever heard. Amazing. So crisp, those 13-inch new beat hi-hats. So what do you think of that pick, Ron? I would have moved mine up. I should have put mine a little higher on the list. <laughs> yeah. But what an incredible song. The thing is, I could have picked one of 20 different songs to be my number one, but I chose Xanadu. This is just a tour de force for Neil. I mean, he got all the percussion pieces out and went crazy. Just the beginning part before the, the song even kicks in. Yeah. All the chimes and the wood blocks on there. The-, the wood blocks. It's crazy. And then when the song starts, forget about it. I was watching one of those reaction videos. It was like a classical drummer, like from a classical uh, orchestra you know, reacts to Xanadu or whatever. And he was very <laughs> impressed the way that Neil played uh, the tubular bells because he, he uh, that hammer, he used the hammer exactly correct to hit the bells. Do you like the live version better or you like the studio version, Steve? I was kind of curious. Oh, wow. Uh, I love them both. I mean, I don't have a preference live versus studio on that one. What, do you, what about you, Jar? No, I like the, I like the studio. How hard is it, Ron, to master percussion instruments like that and add them to your repertoire it takes like anything you know what it's like to just practice makes perfect but those tubular bells i never dabbled with those but i always wanted to do the glockenspiel the xylophone like neil did i always wanted to set a timpani too i mean there's so many great things i mean you can never stop learning i guess i could always look for bells on ebay (laughs) it's a beautiful sound really But that's the amazing thing about Neil. He never stopped learning. He always added more to his drum kit. He always wanted to learn more. And that just made him even greater than he already was. Did you guys see him when he played on the Burning for Buddy video? He was playing like with the Buddy Rich big band. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's like a whole different side of him playing the the jazz, but it was just amazing to watch. I mean, the guy, he could do anything. Yeah. Play with a big band after playing with rock for so many years the guy just incredible and buddy rich was a huge influence on neil did i tell you the one story when i saw buddy rich he was uh, I, I was lucky enough to see him in 1986 he was playing at a high school my parents took me and he was on fire just incredible swinging with the big band and he went into this solo and during the middle of the solo he jumped up and he caught this little splash symbol he goes what do you guys think i'm i, don't know, I think i'm neil bird or something then he jumped down and did <laughs> solo I, I thought that was the coolest thing because we all loved Neil at the time. And for Buddy, I mean, Buddy was probably was probably about a year before he passed away. For him to go up and say that, you know, you, you could tell that Neil definitely meant something to Buddy too. I mean, Buddy knew, knew who Neil was. So, Ron, why don't you tell us what you're working on now? What's going on in Ron Lipnicki's world? I'm recording with a band, Whiplash. It's a New Jersey thrash metal band. And um, I just did a recording Saturday. I'm recording with another band, Vessel of Light. That's my buddy, Dan Lorenzo. He used to play in Hades and nonfiction. So that's her, you could call it a doom rock band. But I do get pretty busy with the drums. I can sweep, uh, you know, sneak some stuff in there. So a lot different than Overkill, a little bit different, slower tempos, but it's definitely fun to play. So I've been busy with those guys. And sometimes I play with Metal Mike, 
he's a guitar player. I used to play with Rob Halford. So we do a couple shows a year with Metal Mike. I'm always busy playing with somebody. If I could play drums, I'll, you know, I'll play with anybody, especially Rush. So if you guys ever want to jam some Rush, let me know. <laughs> what about a Rush cover band? Would you join a Rush cover band if you had the opportunity? Easily. As long as you play bass. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going to have to wait for me to practice for about, I don't know, about 10 years to catch up to you. <laughs> oh, you'll catch. You talk to Lex. <laughs> <laughs> See, we, we, need, we need verification, Ron, that Lex exists. Our listeners don't think that Lex is a real person. You can verify this. Oh, we went to high school with him. He was always great back then. And his brother, Nick, on the guitar. <laughs> yeah, I've gotten some emails uh, doubting whether or not Lex even exists. I don't know why people don't, don't think he exists. It's a strange conspiracy theory to throw out there. It's like, we thank Lex for the, for the bass intro, and people are like, I don't think that guy exists. I have a quick question. This is like a trivia. Is Lex playing fretless bass when he plays on with you guys? It sounds like it's a fretless. Mm. No, he doesn't. I don't believe he does. It has that warm sound with the flat round strings on it. Yeah, it does. It sounds great, though, whatever he's playing. He's amazing. He really is. And you're amazing too, Ron. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Rush Fancast. We really appreciate your insight on drumming and Neil Peart. Thank you, guys. It was my pleasure. And next Tuesday, maybe we'll do it again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Every Tuesday. Let's do it. Tuesday with Ron. Thanks, Ron. We really appreciate it. Anytime, guys. I love the podcast. Thanks. So that was fun reminiscing with Ron, Jer. You haven't seen Ron in 40 years, right? No, I haven't <laughs> seen. I don't even know if I've... Was he even going to our high school when we went to that show? You know, I don't know. I don't think he was. I don't think so, no. He and his brother moved to North Jersey. We lived in Central Jersey. Yeah. I was in a band with him still. That's why we stayed connected. Yeah. You used to drive me up the band practice every week. Oh, that's right. So, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I just sat there. What a friend you were, driving me to oh, band no. practice because I wasn't old enough <laughs> to even have a car. That's a friend. I wonder whose car it was, man. I was always just borrowing somebody's car. It was probably my mom's car. I know. I had to get a ride to your house to borrow a car to take you to band practice. <laughs> well, the crazy <laughs> thing is my mom used to lend anybody her station wagon to drive us to concerts, which is the craziest thing. Would any mom do that now? No, she lent, she was like, where are you going? Oh, we're going to a Judas Priest concert. She's like, oh, all right, <laughs> here are the keys. I don't think she had any idea what was happening in those parking lots. No, I mean, who would give me the keys to their car when I was 17? That's insane. It's madness. I'll have to ask my mom why she did that. <laughs> She's going to be like, you did what? <laughs> You drove my car without permission. Things happened in that car that if my mom ever knew they happened, she'd be, I don't know what she would do. Uh, you're not, she doesn't listen to this, does she? Cause I would, <laughs> no, no, she doesn't. Very awkward. She doesn't listen to the podcast. You can find us on Twitter at rush Fancast, Instagram. We are at the rush cast email, Jerry, let him know what you thought of our conversation with Ron Lipnicki, the rush cast at gmail.com. The base intro done by another high school friend of ours, Lex. He's the best. And Jer, hope you have a quote for us. I do. Since we saw the Power Windows tour on that first faithful concert, I figured I would quote from the big money. Nice. Big money goes around the world. Big money goes underground. Big money got a mighty voice. Big money make no sound. Terrific. Thanks, Jer. All right. See you later, Steve.